Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Star Trek Culture. I'm your host, Liana Ahmed, here with my wonderful co-host, Stephen Schinder. We are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 4 of Star Trek, the original series. That episode is The Naked Time. You can catch Star Trek Culture on Culture Slate on all of the regular social media platforms. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us at Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, we have a Patreon account. If you would love to become a member of that, we welcome you to catch some of our behind-the-scenes and also uh, get apprised of some of our future uh, releases as well. Well, Stephen, this episode is a fan favorite, a, a cast and crew favorite, and also a Hugo Award nominee as well. Yeah, it, it definitely has some of the silliness that people love to see in Star Trek every once in a while. And it still has that deeper theme about, you know, what a person would do if they were completely, you know, the philosophical right. side is not lost also. It's classic Trek at its best, you know? Yeah, well, like, on the surface, like, everyone's acting silly, but it's also kind of a... It, it's like a what if people were not as inhibited, uh, kind of like what we were talking about beforehand. But, yeah, it's... It, it's it has a lot going for it, yeah. like some really memorable character moments. Yep. And the, some, the production of it was also fraught with a lot of interesting factoids. And I'm looking, I'm just relishing to get in with you because I have some questions for you on it too, as, as somebody who's a writer. Um, well, the theme, as we kind of alluded to, it's related to the fact that humans tend to repress their darkest, um, trauma and their darkest emotions but what happens when all that's taken away like what is it about you that people would get to find out um it's considered a character building episode and what was interesting to me from Christian's uh, book about this particular season was that this was the episode that a lot of actors actually fought for their characters for now it's the fourth episode that aired but it's um like fifth episode of technically sixth if you think about it uh the other pilot episode that actually got filmed and keep in mind none of this has aired yet right so they're filming it they still don't know what it's gonna do <laughs> yeah they're like filming all of this in a vacuum right. not knowing what the like reaction is gonna be it, it's kind of like when it it's kind of comparable to George Lucas making the Phantom Menace and not knowing what the fans will think, but like the right. results were kind of different. But it's yeah. like it was pretty much like, um, at its purest, like without any consideration of what the fans might think because they haven't really experienced it right. yet. So it's really weird to think about, right? Right? It's um, and at this time, because of what Roddenberry was building and creating he had attracted a lot of talented and well-established science fiction writers to come write for the show but mr ronberry had his own personality quirks and issues and vision and he oftentimes rubbed a lot of these more established writers the wrong way in this particular episode it's credited with uh john black as the author of it and um despite all the rewrites and everything else that Roddenberry did to it he actually doesn't I don't think he gets credited as a writer for it he actually didn't uh yeah he's actually listed as uncredited um and one of those things is 
as part of a writer's guild um, process, a writer of, a, of a, an episode has the first um, uh, right or ability to rewrite. You can give them notes and whatever, but the rewrite or the polish is not up to somebody else. The writer gets to do it, especially somebody who's established as Mr. Black was at the time. But Roddenberry actually did it over a weekend and basically, yeah. you know, didn't tell anybody. And it was it was the first of several rewrites. Um, this episode was actually supposed to be a two-parter that um, was supposed to uh, propel the crew to another time in the second episode. But uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that for now because this thing, actually, this episode generated not one but two sequels. Yeah. Um, so... We'll, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. those things like toward the end. Towards the but, end. Yeah. Towards the end. But just <laughs> note, like this, this is a little bit of why you know John Black was frustrated. He's like, you wanted this, and then you did this, and then it's not even that anymore. <laughs> so you can understand. So I mean, you, Stephen, you're a writer. Like, how would you feel if somebody, yeah. you know, that just has this idea for a show, and you know, you're a little bit more established, comes in and just like says, "Now, <laughs> I don't like what you did." <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you about it either. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like, you know, obviously I've never written for a TV show, but I know that it's a TV show is generally, uh, like you would think, is supposed to be a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. So I think it's to be expected that some, uh, like, if you write for the show, they might not use all of your ideas. But I think it would be nice for there to be communication between everyone about, right. like, what's going on. That's true. Um, yeah, so, you know, things are going to change probably, but also everyone should talk to each other. That's, like, the ideal situation, mm -hmm. I would think. And, like, everyone is a creative in some way. And it's, right. like, at, at the end of it all, like, the everyone just needs respect for each other and, and you process. know, to, like, Right. Yeah, and you know, trust each other, and also give each other feedback and critiques and whatnot. Right, right, and I think it's because this is early on; nobody knows how this is gonna do. And then um, Black is also besieged by the actors too, coming in to protect their characters, which I'm really glad they did because everything yeah. that I like about the episode is actually something that Roddenberry did, Nimoy did, Takei did. <laughs> it's actually yeah. a little less of him than it is of. Uh, the others and very specifically uh Nimoy has a couple of scenes where we learn a little bit more about Spock and about how how he becomes when he's uninhibited and also uh, Takei it's the most memorable scene it's him with the, with his um, fencing foil yeah and he's shirtless <laughs> hence why it's called the naked time yes. I guess yeah because everybody's <laughs> having a great time <laughs> so, right <laughs> in their own way <laughs> So uh, there's, but I, um, Black actually asked him very specifically, I think when he first read it, he was supposed to be carrying a samurai sword. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Asian, but I'm Asian American. I would never, you know, uh, what do you say? 20th century guy, a 23rd century guy being played by a 20th, 20th century Asian American. I don't do samurai. I, I do Errol Flynn, right? So um, right. he's like, what about a foil? Okay. Like, so they compromise on the foil and, and, um, uh, and actually, Atike very, very honestly says, hey, you know, 
I'm an actor. I'm supposed to be good at everything. And of course, he lied about being able to fence. So yeah. he learned overnight <laughs> how to be a fencer. And I, it worked for me. It inspired, I took fencing in college because of this episode. I'm not ashamed to admit. So, three semesters. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've known some people who enjoy fencing. It's so, a great yeah. way to stre- relieve stress. I mean, like post-college, after my uh, first couple of jobs, I actually did fencing for a little while. To relieve stress. <laughs> nice. Even then, well, when, bubble burst. That was, it was necessary. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that like, you know, fencing, like one of the things fencing reminds me of is the Parent Trap remake with the Lindsay Lohan because there's a fencing scene. And I was also reminded of that movie <laughs> when we talked about the man trap just because of the episode title. But right. yeah, it's kind of weird. That is funny. Um... When this episode aired, the movies that were actually out, actually, I do have access to that. Give me one second. I'll let you know. Um, it was a Steve McQueen movie and another, uh, oh, a Carl Reiner movie. Um, so the okay. Steve McQueen movie was uh, Nevada Smith and um, The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming was the Carl Reiner film that was out at the same time okay i've mm-hmm. never heard of either of those oh, steve mcqueen i've actually i've heard of both of them but i've not seen the russians are coming that one i don't think i've seen it but i'm also one of those people that halfway through i'm like oh yeah now i remember everything <laughs> so <laughs> i can watch something and then completely forget that i've actually seen it yeah i mean that's us with this show right 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 yeah you were asking <laughs> me about an episode and i'm like oh I don't know the title, but yeah, because because like the title was familiar to me, but I couldn't remember which what happens in it. I had to look it up. And um, then you, when you describe the episode, I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly. What yeah, it was uh, tomorrow is yesterday, and yeah. weirdly, like the date that it aired was January 26th, which is the date that we're recording this episode right, right now. Right, that's yeah. It's a timey wimey thing, and as we're also fans of Doctor Who, so that's also kind of another thing that, yeah. <laughs> that messes with our heads whenever time things sync up like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so let's get back into this episode, which, right. which also has its own little time component. Besides having time in the name, um, we've got I've, we talked about Takei and his sword scene. The other thing is we've got a couple of guest actors that have some interesting backstories as well. We've got Bruce Hyde, who plays um, Kevin Riley, Lieutenant Kevin Riley, and we've got Stuart Moss, who plays Joe Tormelon. Now, with Bruce Hyde, this is his first, and I didn't know this until I read about it, this is his first time to be on Cellular on film. He is a stage actor. He's only 24, but he's an accomplished stage actor and um, used to an audience. So all the scenes where, you know, he's singing the Irish ballad and he's acting drunk and everything else it's hilarious but he actually was really nervous about it because on a soundstage nobody's talking nobody's giving him the feedback that he's used to and he was really nervous about how it would go down on the other hand you had Stuart Moss who was a more established actor who was a sci-fi buff and he was just ecstatic to be a part of Star Trek it's kind of sad because you know we'll get into what happens with his character but he um he was a really big fan of the idea of the show, wanted to be a part of it, and was excited that he could. And then um, he even got a note from John Black, and John Black doesn't didn't write to all, very many actors, and he did send a note of thanks to Stuart Moss for his portrayal as well. So there was some 
um, love there. And he said that was the first and only time that's ever happened to him as an actor, that the author or, or the writer of the um, episode actually sent him something like that. So there was there was that. But um, we've got um, a couple of other folks that show up later on, Eddie Paskey, Frankie Da Vinci, and uh, Ron Vietto. They actually are bat background players that you keep seeing and every once in a while one of them will get a line here and there and um yeah so this is some of the first few episodes i because it's the fourth one that aired we think of them as only having been having been in four but they're actually throughout the entire season until i think okay. get killed off so. yeah it, it's it's they're red turds <laughs> so. right yeah it's funny because uh like you said there's that actor who was a stage actor and is pretty much playing against type because yeah. you know he's used to being the straight man like, like he said yeah. um and is like pretty much doing the opposite and uh, it's kind of difficult because star trek was not filmed in front of a live studio audience <laughs> no. could you imagine if it was oh, good like golly i can't <laughs> imagine like i think I think Nimoy's eyebrows would hurt from like constantly cocking them up at every laugh. There, there would be so much laughter throughout this particular episode. Yes, yes. there's actually a funny picture in um in the, in the books, and I'm I'm leveraging uh, Mark Cushman's wonderful um these are the voyages, uh, which are the guides to all three seasons, and he's got a lot of good black and white photo- photography, but they're really small, so I you know would try to share them or point to them. Um, there's a great picture of Mark Daniels, the director of the episode. Like, you know, sh- it looks like he's kind of shaking um, Bruce to get him to like loosen up, and and that's what the caption says. He's like trying to get him to loosen up at, at the console because <laughs> so, he was he was getting uptight because he wasn't you know getting the feedback, and so it was like no no no. But everybody loves working with Mark Daniels, and he actually had just finished filming and wrapping the Man Trap, and went directly into directing this episode. Like he. Um, was not supposed to there was somebody else that was slated to do it but that person's there was scheduling conflicts and um at the last minute mr Daniels had to step in so um he did a superb job i mean he actually because he was so efficient with his directing style or direction style everyone liked working with him because he didn't get in the actor's way so um there was something to be said about how his magic was a part of this as well like an ingredient this episode i mean we talked about how there needs to be collaboration between the Mm -hmm. writers but there should also be collaboration between you know the writers and directors and the actors as well because it's just i just run the full gamut of like all the hands i get into this thing that's something that um, Grace Lee Whitney talks about a lot um, throughout this book and, and just in general from interviews with her is the fact that part of the magic and i don't like to use the word magic i'm not a fan of that kind of word but it's oh i, I love magic but go ahead <laughs> the chemistry um the alchemy potions transfiguration no the 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 thing that um worked well is the fact that the cast and crew were there to support each other very specifically i was talking about one of the other actors um who eddie paskey i think he had a line or two and he actually was freezing up and he just kept forgetting. It was one of his first times to speak um, on film as well. And um, basically, he, he was costing them money a little bit at this point in time of the day. Right. And um, they, Mark Daniels had scribbled his lines 
um, in wax pen on the console because he was sitting at the console at this point in the episode. The trouble with scribbles. Exactly. And he... <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, he... <laughs> I can't stop laughing now. Uh, yeah, so he basically still couldn't get his lines out, but then um, Leonard Nimoy took the line and just, you know, left it on the stage like you're supposed to. It didn't matter. They, 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 they worked it through. And it wasn't so much, it was, that was the beauty of the crew, right? Everybody supported each other. There was no negativity. There were no um, uh, missteps. Like, hey, it was a hap- this is, he was just having a bad day. Everyone has them. So somebody else will pick up the slack. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. And speaking of freezing up, isn't that kind of how the episode begins with like yes. frozen bodies and yes. stuff? So they're going to this planet that's about to implode called Psy 2000. It's an ancient planet, but there was a science crew that was sent there before and the science crew disappears or they're just not heard from. And um, so um, in uh, one of the, the cleanup crew and Spock go down to the surface and they're in these um, clean suits um, and everything around them is weird. So one note that uh, this was supposed to be in an early episode, early uh, version of the episode was that um, they were supposed to run into all these bodies that were split open. So it was supposed to be a lot more gory. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, thankfully, it wasn't like that. And um, the note in the episode is, and the censors slept well that night. <laughs> they didn't have I, I mean, maybe on Paramount Plus, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> Paramount after dark. I have no idea. This is <laughs> this is pretty um, you know, especially for nineteen sixties television, you weren't supposed to be seeing that. Yeah, you might have read it in a novel, but you weren't seeing it on TV. <laughs> You'd see it in right. a comic book at the time, but not on TV. They yeah. actually had six dead that they made dummies and, and you just heard the crew talking about where they found them and how they found them. Like there was a fully clothed guy in a shower, the environmental controls were wacky, it was because the whole place was frozen um the wrong kind of person was sitting at a console and uh it was just odd in general like just the whole setup was odd um but there was nobody left alive and at this point in time uh one of the cleanup crew joe uh portolo uh, who was played by uh stuart moss takes off his glove to just kind of uh touch a part of his face or touch something else. I'm touching my nose because we're about to talk about touching noses. I don't know if that makes me want to touch my nose. Uh, but he, um, and the funny thing is because he's the guy who's the sci-fi fan, right? He wanted to be part of the show. He actually kind of put up a fight that what he basically said to, to the director, Mark Daniels, like, hey, if you're going to be in Starfleet, don't you kind of have to, at minimum, like to have to have at least one PhD in engineering? I mean, would that guy be that dumb to take off his glove and like do something, <laughs> you know, like touch his face? And and Daniels is like, well, yeah, if he doesn't do it, we don't even have an episode. So you know, you can have to do this. Right. <laughs> you have to be dumb, <laughs> but you know, bravo for him for being astute enough to think about that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I I don't know what reason they could have written in for him doing that, but. I mean, it had to happen somehow. Somehow and... or another, yeah. And my thought would yeah. be like, like the suit, like his suit ruptures on something. Like he, you know, he stumbles over a body and rips his suit. You know, something like that. Um, right, like or maybe like a hole is formed in the glove or something. Right. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, there's some other ways for him to like 
have to touch something else, you know? Um, but then basically this is where the whole Western tropes um, still come into play into this episode because we're teaching people about science fiction on television at this point. Yeah, we've had like, you know, I think Lost in Space and some other shows like that, but you don't have anything like this yet on TV, on primetime. And um, so they, they used some of these old metaphors and things that we all know, um, especially the audiences of that day. And so every time somebody gets infected, you hear the rattle of a rattlesnake <laughs> go off. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's straight up gun smoke and stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah. In, Indiana Jones would just turn die. and run right away. <laughs> he would die. Yeah. <laughs> he would not have a good time with it. Um, but we start to see that um, Joe Joey's unraveling as he's uh, going about the rest of his day. And then there's this great recreation uh, room scene where he... He's actually, and this is something that doesn't get touched upon, but he's actually depressed. You can tell. He doesn't, he has a lot of fear and anxiety about being out in space. He doesn't think people belong in space. And um, he becomes suicidal. And, right. you know. Yeah, have... and, and Kirk is like kind of shocked by this. He's yeah. like, I never would have guessed or yeah. something like that. And that's yeah. pretty much like. Yeah, like lots of people have these um, dark thoughts or feelings, and it's not always obvious. So right. this was like streets ahead, I yeah, guess. Definitely, and and um, for all of those that, that you know that we know that have um, gone through, you know, depression or are you know have the chronic conditions of it, you know, that's actually this is somebody who wore that face, right? It's that fake face that you have to wear, so it's uh, difficult. But he actually reveals who he really is. And I think Stuart Mars also made the, the quip that I'm probably the only guy to ever die on television because of a butter uh, with a butter knife because he lands on a butter knife. But, you know, there's, there's a disease running through him also. So that's kind of what kills him. But nobody knows that yet. And um, he in the process of um, going through that cycle and that exposition, he exposes Lieutenant Riley and um, uh, Lieutenant Sulu um, to the disease, right? So uh, you hear the rattle go off and um, you know, they take him into the sick bay and, um, you know, he, he doesn't make it and everyone's kind of surprised uh, that he doesn't because otherwise, you know, it's a butter knife like. It's like there's his in, intestinal. He had he had very little. It was minor injuries, and McCoy is, um, really distraught. He's like, no, it's got to be something else, and you know, um, this is where maybe your bone comes up. I don't know. <laughs> you want to talk about it now? <laughs> but um, uh, well, my my bone comes up when he's like examining Spock. So uh, like I don't know if okay. We're there yet, or not but. yet, right? So I, this is my bone to pick with bones, is because Kirk is like, <laughs> um, you know, what else could it be? And he's like, well, I did all the normal things, and Kirk's like exasperated, like do something else, you know? Think else. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> You're a doctor, you know, not an engineer. That's yeah. the problem, you know. Engineers are we don't, you know, we're taught to think outside and be creative you know it's cliche to say think outside the box but, but that's what engineers are taught to do yeah to think like... think outside the cube exactly <laughs> um and doctors and and you know certain other professions 
it's what is it if you hear hooves 99 percent of the time it's a horse not a zebra so you you know he's looking at all the horses and they're just not he's not thinking about the one percent chance that it's a zebra so um anyway that that was just my bone to pick (laughs) (laughs) um but uh this is also the episode where we get a lot of uh fun times with everyone else getting as what did black say it's uh drunkenness without the stumbling (laughs) yeah it's it reminded me of when we got to see michael burnham uh tripping out in discovery season three yes like like when she uses some sort of drug and like she's more like the truth out there yeah 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 they give her the truth (laughs) yeah so like that was a fun time for cynical martin green probably just Probably like how this was a really fun time for the actors just going oh, all out. Yes. So George Takei goes that crazy. I, I was about to curse. Yeah. See, I didn't, <laughs> he goes nuts with the sword that, you know, he fought to like at least not have a samurai sword. And then he actually, when he, um, he actually, he's on the bridge and then he tries to, he's like, no, no, no I want to go fencing. And it's already alluded to earlier in the episode that he fences. And uh, he just wants to go show Riley, you know, what, what he's talking about. He's, like, he's distressed and he just wants to relieve some stress. And he sneaks off the bridge. <laughs> and then when he comes back, he's brandishing a sword. But in the filming of the episode, George Decay actually injured a bunch of people because he was so exuberant with the sword. <laughs> uh, the director had to take it away from him and file it down <laughs> so he would start hurt, stop hurting people. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, like I said, like you said, it. Everyone's having a great time with this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta imagine that, like, under normal circumstances, people would have sued Sulu. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the pursuit of his uh, happiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we've got some other people getting infected, but now we've we come to Lieutenant Riley, who's also infected. And uh, he starts to, like, you know, get anxious and, you know, he's looking at his hands. And we talked about how much everyone was perspiring in this episode, remember? And that's because everyone is sick. And that's just how they showed it back then. They had no other way to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. (laughs) Um, And, and like, he, he kind of, like, goes to, like, this room where he... Like, uses the intercom, pretty, pretty much makes his own, like, homemade, hilarious radio show type of thing. Yes. <laughs> he's, like, the first po- podcaster in the 60s, right? So, yeah. basically, he, he he steals away in a certain engineering room and, and <laughs> redirects all the comms to come through him. And so, yeah. Ahura is mad because she has lost control of communications. Everyone, basically, a bunch of people have left the bridge. <laughs> And by the way, that planet is still imploding underneath them. So there's eminent danger um, also coming to them from the planet that they can't control. And then they have this thing that they think they know was a disease that they caught from the planet that they maybe be able to control, but they don't still they still don't know that. And um, and it's Riley. And this is so funny because of the fact that we're still in the pandemic phase of the world and whatnot. Right, like some I of this hits home, hard, kind of. Right. 
So yeah, Stephen and I did contact tracing for <laughs> this episode. Right. <laughs> so we've got um, so Lieutenant Riley before he steals away to um, to that engineering room, he makes a pass through sick bay and he infects uh, Nurse Chapel, and then Nurse Chapel in turn in- infects Spock, who then infects Kirk, I believe. That's, so, yeah, so we, we traced it. And then, um, you know, Takei is the guy who's basically taking it everywhere because he's got the sword. And, you know, once he gets a couple of people, those people in, and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot. And also, Joe probably infected other people along the way, too. So basically, a good chunk of the ship has this disease. <laughs> yeah. What does that feel like? <laughs> that sounds like it's... what we're going through right now. <laughs> So, yeah. so relevant. <laughs> it's just, yeah, this episode was too soon. <laughs> right, it's too soon. <laughs> I remember when uh, watching this with you, we were, they were touching things, and we're like, where's the disinfectant? <laughs> yeah. Was, this row of bottles. But like, why is, there, why is there no soap dispenser exactly. by every door on this ship? <laughs> right. Like, and this also, is a 23rd century? What the heck? I know, right? I mean, they had decontaminant procedures that obviously failed, but, you know, we won't go there. And then right. in one of the sick bay scenes, there's these bottles up against the wall. And I'm like, see, they do have disinfectant. <laughs> that's how we're thinking about this episode now. Um, but that's one of the beauties of Star Trek original series is that, yeah, what's, you know, how many decades later and we're still finding it to be relevant. <laughs> right. Right. Um, speaks to it speaks to the timelessness of those episodes. Now, with um, you know, as as everyone's going through getting infected and whatnot, and uh, Takei is on the bridge. I'm sorry, I should say Sue is on the bridge, branching the sword. Right. I mean, they're they're the same. They're person, the same person. So. I know. I should, but I should... everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I just the page I'm on in the book. It's got this awesome still of George Takei like leaping over. Uh, with the sword in hand, like his exuberance, if you will. <laughs> That's why nice. I, I'm just looking at Mr. Decay right here, Uncle George. Though, with uh, one of my favorite lines, actually, my favorite quote happens on this because uh, Sulu tries to air quote rescue Ahura and he says, like, fear not, fair maiden. And she's like, neither. And that's like my favorite line as a little brown girl, like, oh yeah, I'm not fair, nor am I a maiden, I'm a tough girl. Not to be brown, <laughs> so, you know black in our case you know like that was it was just a beautiful line like it was empowering and it was actually a roddenberry insert <laughs> yeah. nice yeah um and john black's wife i think was his writing assistant or, or his secretary um and so neither of them actually liked that line very particularly <laughs> like we didn't put that in there but um you know like i said everything roddenberry put in there is kind of what makes the episode special for me <laughs> um you know so we're we've got a lot of other folks getting infected. So Lieutenant Riley infects Nurse Chapel, and when Nurse Chapel is in the throes of her uh, infection, and by the way, this is the first episode I believe that we have Majel Barrett in the blonde wig as Nurse Chapel. Um, it was okay. <laughs> one of the things where the notes that NBC said was that they didn't like her as a brunette, and so. A little bit of Roddenberry's um, legendary, you know, hard-headedness and just, you know, messing with the system 
uh, he said, fine, I'll just put her in a blonde wig. <laughs> I'm just going to put her in the episode. <laughs> so that was kind of why she's there. But anyway, so she, her character um, is madly in love with um, Spock. And yeah, just like the viewers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, after this episode, Nemoy says his fan mail uh, quadrupled, basically. You got, you know, a couple of, yeah, after the first three episodes, you got like maybe, you know, 10 or, you know, 20 pieces of mail. And then after that, it was like thousands of people started writing in because his character and what he expresses so beautifully in one take, by the way, um, that is a single take. No other shots were done. That's all they got um, is about the essence of being a Vulcan, right? Um, we see him talking about the fact that his mother was the human. Because up until this point, you touched upon this a couple of weeks ago. Like, uh, he says he's got a human descendant. They never say it's Or a human ancestor. Ancestor, yeah. ancestor, descendant. Jeez. Other way. <laughs> Time, again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, him actually confessing that it's his mother and he doesn't bring up Cybok or Michael at this point. I had to right. point that out. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but we do learn that he has, I think this is where we first learned that he has green blood, like yes. during the examination that McCoy does on him. Yes. There's, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And that part is where my bone to pick up bones comes in. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's when um, McCoy says, uh, let's see, I'm tr- I'm just looking at the line real quick. Sure. Uh, he says, your pulse is 242, your blood pressure is practically non-existent, assuming you call that green stuff in your veins blood. And it's like, whoa, whoa, McCoy, <laughs> like, why are you being so mean about his blood right there? Like, just because he's Vulcan? Like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> Hashtag not racist, but kind of is. Right. And then Spock says my favorite line in the episode, which is, uh, the readings are perfectly normal for me, doctor. Thank you. And as for my anatomy being different from yours, I'm delighted, Captain. <laughs> and it's like that... It, it's it's funny because like he prefers like being more Vulcan than human, but also like it could be like interpreted as like a a dirty joke against McCoy right. if if you read into it that way. It's it, it's it's like a bit of humor from Spock, which is funny because like he doesn't yeah. like express emotions that much. <laughs> but like ex- unintentionally being funny, but also intentionally totally being. <laughs> Right, but but yeah, so, but yeah, so like he expresses a lot of emotion here um, when he gets like after he's infected and he says he never told his mother that he loved her like when he was growing up mm-hmm. and it's it's a really huge moment. But I also feel like in episode like with this type of moment, like I feel like in modern. Uh, television it would have made a bit more sense like maybe closer to halfway through the season like after we've gotten more used to seeing Spock with his like uh, not as emotional ways because this felt like kind of a lot really soon in my opinion if for me I felt that 
if I was watching this for the first time, like in this order, I would feel that, oh, I can relate to him. So he's not so alien to me anymore, mm. even though he's as alien as can be with now I know he's got green blood, you know, um, he's got pointy ears and pointy eyebrows, but wow, he's actually part human and there's something in him that I can relate to. And the empathy he showed towards his mother, the way he described it, she must have been so alone on a planet where love is considered to be in bad taste, right? Something along those lines. And um, I thought the way, you know, that he he did it. And, and I can't get over the fact that it was just one taken. And, and now I read it because they were actually in overtime, um, in over, yeah, having to pay the crew overtime at that point in time. So everybody came down to, to watch it and to make sure that it got done in the single take they were allowed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it was well acted. Yeah. I, I just feel like it, it's it probably would have been, hmm. like today, it, it might have been expected to be a little further into the season. Yeah, they, to your point, like, they might have like actually put the reveal in like another season. They might have given us an entire season of a Vulcan without any... Right, it, any it's kind of... I, I kind of compare it to how... Saru, um, look at, like, you know, um, if you, if you don't want to be spoiled about Discovery Season 3, skip ahead, like, a minute, but, <laughs> yeah, but when, when Saru, um, takes on that, or when he looks human for that one episode or two episodes, whatever it was, it, it's more impactful because we've seen more of him as a Kelpian and, like, how he is, and, it, like, in that same vein, I kind of feel like, Spock's moment here would have made more sense being later, like right. like kind of in that thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I like when it happened, but I'm used to it being at this point. You know, like it doesn't. I can't imagine right. it now not being. And I I don't know. There's nothing. Yeah, like you're so to, used to it. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to like break out of that just because it's it's rote for me in a sense. Um, with this one, with. The other big reveal is also Kirk, because Kirk gets impacted um, or infected as well. And it's funny, this is another episode of slapping, right? <laughs> and fist, right. fisticuffs, uh, Star Trek style. <laughs> but what's what's funny is that we actually see the the fact that, yeah, Kirk gets a couple of blows in, but then it doesn't take very much for Spock to yeah. knock down Kirk. Kirk, and Kirk doesn't want doesn't want people to get so emotional. Right. Thus feeling the feelings of fans today who want the characters to not be emotional. I know, right? It's just so silly. It's so silly. Um, yeah. But it's revealing in the way that um, Kirk realizes that he he his love is the ship and he will never let anything happen to her and after like um so the holodeck waste removal crew my other uh group of friends that we we watch things together and talk about on friday night for no reason no good reason because we have nothing else to do um <laughs> we were talking about of uh, one of the star trek films star trek six and actually the motion picture sorry let me go even back to that one where um the ship is an obsession for kirk but it starts here. Like, this is when we find out that this is something, It you know, it's always been there. Like, the motion picture makes sense. Like, he, you know, takes over Decker's position and it, uh, basically strong arms his way back into the captain's chair. Well, here you learn that he always, his only love is, the she in his life is the ship. Um, that's it, right? Nothing else matters. So, um, very, his line in particular... Give me a second. I'm reading. It's a little bit in the dark. He says, 
um, love, um, you know, he's reacting to Spock's whole thing about love. He's like, love, you're in better, you're better off without it. And I'll be better off without mine. Um, this, uh, this vessel I give, she takes, she won't permit me my life. Um, I have to live hers. Now I know why it's called she, basically. So, you know, he is, his everything is his essence. So that's what, that's what he's been hiding. It's like, yeah, he's actually, he acts cool and whatever, but he's, you know, tortured with his love for, for the ship that he's on. Yeah. It kind of ties back to that little conversation. What was it that Sulu and Rand had of naming objects? Yes. Or am I thinking of something else? No, no, no. Yeah. You are. You're actually right. Like, why is everything called Okay, Chico? yeah. 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 Um, this is, you know, Roddenberry t- uh, bringing in social commentary again. Like, why is everything, like, why are we, fem- why do we objectify everything as a feminine, into the feminine, right? So he's been thinking about those things for a while. Um, and it, and just reading a little bit more about Roddenberry's life, you know, he had a father who wasn't exactly... He was not well educated, but he was also a futurist, but also kind of a racist, right? So he has he has these things that he loved about his father, but these things that he just abhorred about his father, and um, you know, just taking the he's like I choose to remember the best bits because you know he he doesn't the bad bits are just too bad. So um, what he takes away is you know that sort of uh, um, love of. Uh, uh, the future, like the egalitarian side of it, because despite his father's racial prejudices, he was a fair person. He was a, he was a beat cop, street beat cop in Highland Park in, in the LA area. Um, and Roddenberry was a cop eventually too for a little bit, but his father was a cop as well after serving in World War One. And um, despite his other issues, he you know cared about being fair because he did not like the way the police acted in the day and in that time frame um we think it's bad now but believe it or not it was worse right so mm. um it it's it goes a lot to say that you know that when he's talking about those little those little things that he injects into every episode it, it comes from that it comes all the way back from his childhood forward um it's like why is it that we treat women differently why is it that we you know have these kinds of things so um like it's it's just you know, everything, everything about this episode is Gene Roddenberry and Trek. <laughs> so, right. I, I'm trying to think, does he bring up the she thing again? I feel like he does. I just can't remember. I, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> what, like in ago. the episode or yeah, in the show in, in, in the general? Show, in the show in general. I feel like he, it, oh. it comes up again. Yeah, I guess we'd have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah. I know um, for the body count, though, we've got one crewman dead, six on the planet. If you're counting those guys or not, I don't know. <laughs> not a red shirt, you know, a character that we actually cared about. <laughs> also, right. um, I'm waiting for my first actual red shirt death. Yeah, maybe it'll be the next one. I don't know. Wouldn't it be funny if it's like not even until like season two? I know. I kind of get the feeling. <laughs> it's. I think it's actually the second half of the first season. But okay. And then again, I don't remember the order of the episodes anymore. <laughs> So, and just talking to you about um, what was supposed to be the, the second half of this episode, I discovered that it was in season one. I was like, oh gosh, I thought it was in the next season. Uh, 
Oh, but yeah, this is why we're going through it again, so we can keep it straight. <laughs> yeah. Keep talking about it. Well, um, there's a lot of little things that keep going on in this episode where um, they do figure it out. McCoy does get the cure, and <laughs> he, he's... I mean, I, I guess we could give him credit for that. A little bit. A little bit of credit, right? <laughs> um but the end towards the end of the episode, remember the planet is still imploding, and thanks to the royal screw up of Lieutenant Riley, um, locking himself away in that room singing um, the ballad of the Irish ballad of Kathleen, um, which is actually an American Irish ballad, really. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I mean he he was just time. he was just on lockdown, like so, he was social distancing. <laughs> he was social distancing. Yeah. Absolutely true. <laughs> Um, so the ballad that he was singing, um, I always thought it was an Irish ballad, but it's actually an American ballad that um, is a beloved Irish ballad. So um, and, and it's just the way he says, the you know, he sings it, the chorus of it. He goes, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> Maybe that should have been the title of the episode, <laughs> One More Time. One more time. Well, we're like the Buffy episode, What's More With Feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a musical one, right? Yes. <laughs> I love that episode. It is the best. It is one of the best episodes. Yeah. Definitely. And speaking of Buffy, you know, Def- um, Doug Jones was in an episode of Buffy, my actual favorite yeah. episode. Hush. Um, anyway, well, going back to this one, we've got, um, they've solved the virus problem and everyone's getting, you know, inoculated. Hey, that sounds familiar too. And, and uh, but they still have this other problem that also sounds familiar too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they figure out how to um, escape the planet's um, ever increasing gravity because as, as it's imploding, they're getting sucked down into the you know into the gravity of the planet. They, they're trying to escape, but in doing so, they actually propel themselves backwards in time a few days, three days. So they discover a way of time travel. And this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this episode, of this recording, was that this was originally intended to be a two-parter with the second half of the uh, episode or the next episode, them traveling back in time completely. I always thought it was kind of an odd thing to keep this in. What about you? Like, Yeah, like the whole, that sequence where they say, like, they're going back in time and then it doesn't really go anywhere. It does feel odd that they kept that in. Like it, it very well could have, they very well could have made it a cliffhanger yeah. and let it into a, the next episode. Like I think the only two parter the original series has is the menagerie. Correct. Um, but yeah, like I, it, yeah, it's, it's an odd choice that they left that in. I don't yeah. know why they didn't just like, do something else yeah and uh the thing the 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 lines that they changed when they realized they weren't going to be filming that immediately or had scrapped the plans altogether i think at this point in time from what i understand they didn't even know they were going to do it they basically said oh yeah let's we'll save that for now (laughs) because spock literally says we can go anywhere in time and he's and kurt's like yeah no (laughs) yeah and I mean the the episode ends on like a really neutral note, as if like, like like it's not optimistic, it's not cynical, it's just yeah that that That's happened cool. I yeah. guess <laughs> that that right. was a time and a half, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just 
not the best ending. Um, towards the end of this particular show's run is when we get the the funnier ends and like the the nice little oh Spock oh Kirk kind of ends. But this one was just like yeah, well, like you can't imagine. Tunnel. Okay. Like, you can't imagine the live studio audience <laughs> laughing at this right. ending. It would just be like, wait, what? Yeah. I just, yeah, it was, it's an ending, you know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. the episode of The Simpsons where Marge like, it's an ending. It just, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, and we also, like, you know, years later, we get the TNG oh, yeah. episode, The Naked yeah. Now, yeah. which is based on, like, an unfinished script that would have been like a follow-up to this Correct. i guess yes right it's uh the, the the sequel that was 20 at the time 20 years in the making is the way to describe yeah. it <laughs> because literally they're just they they saved it um so the episode that was supposed to be the part two ends up becoming uh the season one episode called tomorrow is yes tomorrow is yesterday and then the naked now was something that Gene Roddenberry had started. It was like a treatment that was done in May of '67, and didn't okay. air until I think Naked Now is in season one of TNG, right? Yeah, it's it is. Uh, season one, episode three. So yeah, wow. twenty years. Wow, you you got that down. That's '87, right? Well, I mean, we looked it up like right before. Oh, this, you did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just know. I just it's been. It's yeah, it, it was it was like earlier in season one that I remembered. Like yeah, for some reason, I, I thought it was getting me. Yeah, it's much yeah. Earlier. Like like I think I knew it was season one, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't realize it was that early in season one. Yeah, because like Tasha and Data hooked up that early. Wow, <laughs> that's all. That's what's yeah, in my head. Like, I'm like... like like that's why that's probably why I thought it was later. later like, wait, that that's that happens this early right. in the show. <laughs> And for me personally, so what happened when that particular episode aired originally, I missed it. So I watched it on rerun. Oh, wow. Like in the, like I had. So it was no longer the naked now for you. It was no, the naked it was, then. It was the naked it happened already. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, the, the local station where I watched uh, TNG would air um, an older episode and then the new episode back to back. And so I watched it like later and then you know back in the day of television you had the first run season then you had the rerun season right and so we got to watch it in in actual order but um yeah it that was that was kind of interesting because i was like oh what wait what this is that episode this was just like that other episode (laughs) yeah So, um, it, it, it's it's like poetry they rhyme they as rhyme. George Lucas once said <laughs> oh man well guys um, uh, yeah. oh we still have um, a, the same universe different universe <gasps> oh segment. right another yeah. game okay so this one for me is same universe it has to be there isn't anything um, well the keep in mind the episode before this was where no man has gone before this is true. This is true. Right. And you know, the, like, the uniforms are different. Uh, the personnel was slightly different. So, like, it's got be, in, like, in my opinion, different universe. So, oh, I'm going to disagree. I want to say it's the same because it's, um, everyone's happier. <laughs> everyone's <laughs> it's not so dark, right? Right, you you just want that progression. Yeah, like. yeah. I just I just think it's great, 
and uh, Lieutenant Riley's one more time, you know, <laughs> this always gets me every time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, for any new listeners or viewers, we know it's all the same universe. So we we just like having fun with yeah. like in- inconsistencies it, or whatever. Especially in this season and this first, yeah. you know, telling is they're still figuring it out. They haven't aired anything just quite yet. I forget if this one aired while they were still filming or not. I, um, the air date of it. Yeah, this would had to be in like end of September, I think, unless it's like early October. This episode, oh yeah, I remember this. So it aired uh, Thursday, September 29th, 1966. And it actually won its time slot. And it beat out Bewitched, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I love Bewitched too. So, (laughs) oh wow, yeah. Yeah, I've I've, I've only seen the Will Ferrell movie. Oh, I never saw that because uh, I'm Oh, that's fascist. funny. <laughs> but if you're watching WandaVision, you've kind of already seen parts of it, too, because... Right, uh, well, well, like, I knew, because, you know, the Will Ferrell movie includes, like, the animated segment, because I think in the movie, they're making a Bewitched TV show within the movie as well, so you have, like, a bit of that animation style featured, and so, like, when WandaVision did it recently, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, like, Bewitched. Yeah. Well, the first, yeah, that whole first episode and, and this, into the second one was like Bewitched, and then now we're into Brady Bunch and... And I Dream of Jeannie, yeah. Dick Van Dyke show, yeah. and uh, I Love Lucy, yeah. All of that, yep, yeah, all rolled into it. And Just everything. Everything, yeah. Dizzyingly beautiful, but still no mention of actual mutants, which is weird to me. <laughs> well, well, I mean, maybe by the time this recording goes out, we'll have heard something, but we'll see. Yeah. They're never going to tie them back to Magneto. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, um, because MCU can, you know, when it started, they didn't have it. It's going to be, we're trying to understand and figure out how they're going to retcon the mutants in. Because now that they have that IP, it would be brilliant to have it in there. Um, it's been my biggest gripe with the MCU's uh, take on the civil war of like, you know, five action figures basically against each other. <laughs> wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wild if all the X-Men movies we've seen are like within Wanda's world? Like they're not even like reality or a different universe or whatever. They're just movies that Wanda made up in her mind. That would be kind of cool. I mean, I would I, I mean, I wouldn't them. like that, but it's I just, just funny I want them to, to count, about. you know? <laughs> Right. I want Patrick Stewart to count for everything. So. Right. So I I heard recently that apparently Kevin Feige approached Patrick Stewart to see if he wanted to like return for the MCU. I don't, I I feel like it probably would have been like maybe a cameo or something involving mm-hmm. the multiverse. Cause you know, I don't expect Patrick Stewart would keep playing the role for like so long uh, given like, um, I don't know other other commitments and also and everything like else high yeah. up there. Yeah, uh, but he declined because like he thought Logan was like a perfect conclusion. Whereas if Logan had not been a thing, he maybe he would have considered it. But I mean, uh, but I mean, yeah, like I've said before on this on this show, uh, Star Trek culture, uh, like Logan has my favorite. Uh, performance of his as mm-hmm. professor x because he gets real. Yeah. yeah he gets to like break out of the mold of just being calm wise and stoic and being like 
troubled and like yelling and stuff like that and it's just like a really powerful performance Uh, yeah it's um it's patrick stewart at his best although the selling point should be the fact that charles xavier gets to sit down the entire time so (laughs) he doesn't have to get up (laughs) so not no action he just sit there and you know just um, you know, use his mind. Come on, that's kind of relaxing, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what we do right. here, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just sit down, use our minds, talk about Star Trek. Yes, yes. How else are we going to survive the pandemic? This has been my savior here, so I'm I'm enjoying this thoroughly. Um, yeah. Well, I hope you guys are too. And uh, so we've decided we don't agree that this is prime or not. Oh, speaking of, <laughs> I just have to mention this. I was on a work call today and there was a gentleman whose last name was Prime and I was like, hmm, so not a fan of the Kelvin universe. Again. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't say that out loud, but I was certainly thinking that. I was like, oh, does he know? Does he know about who I am? <laughs> I like. <laughs> so, um, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's, a, that's an awesome last name to have, number one. Number two. <laughs> oh yeah. Tell me you're a Trekkie, please. You know, but you know, we don't talk about these kinds of things at, at uh, my other job. So, um, but we've got, so your bones to pick with bones, you know, at the end of the day, he did come through. We had to give him credit. I guess. (laughs) But at the end of the day, he kind of always comes through, but not after just being like a complete and other miserable person. Yeah, we're we're just making him out to be this malicious person. (laughs) And I heard good things. Like the ultimate villain of the series. (laughs) He's just so, he's a cranky, you know, grumpy old man. And he's just mad at everybody that he still has to be the doctor of the ship. Nobody listens to him anyway. (laughs) It's kind of like Dr. Fauci, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, well, thanks guys for hanging out with us and for listening to us uh, chat about uh, season one, episode four, The Naked Time. And as always, you can catch Star Trek Culture on all of the social media platforms that Culture Slate uh, subscribes to. And you can also subscribe to our Patreon account. The links are in our information below. If you would like to talk to us directly, please contact us at Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. So I'm going to say this one more time. <laughs> Live long and tell a loved one that you love them or something (laughs) right (laughs) what if it's a ship (laughs) sure why not